This is Christopher Benincasa for Jersey Arts, the podcast. I recently met up with actor Matthew Arkin at the George Street Playhouse in New Brunswick to talk about his role in the Obie Award-winning play Sight Unseen, written by Donald Margulies and directed by David Saint. The play runs through February 15th. In the play, Arkin is art world superstar Jonathan Waxman, and his story is revealed to the audience in a handful of interconnected scenes culled from a 17-year period of time, bouncing between New York and London. I started off by asking him, what's it like playing a character who's constantly rewinding and fast-forwarding in front of a live audience? It's tough. Uh, You have to, and and the scene changes are very fast, Uh, so you have to take a moment while you're racing off stage and taking a jacket off and putting a different shirt on to sort of reset in your head where you are. And sometimes it's very difficult because you're coming off of a scene that's very sad and very emotional, and 20 seconds later, you're back on, and it's years earlier or years later, and you're happy, or at least you're not crying. Uh, What we did in rehearsal was the first four or five days of rehearsal, after we read the play through once as written, we then rearranged the scenes into the chronological order. And we rehearsed it that way for four or five days. We read it through that way a couple of times, and then we started putting the scenes on their feet in that order so that we'd be going into each scene with the orientation of the last scene. And that really helped sort of uh, fix in your mind where you were at the beginning of each moment in time. Right, because I, I was watching it and, and thinking to myself, my God, that must be disorienting, because um, the character you see in England when your character visits the farmhouse in England is very slick. Um, even in out-of-control scenes, he's reserved and, and he's somewhat in control most of the time, and then you see him fall apart in these other scenes. Right. Yeah. And, and the thing I was also very... Uh, I was somewhat concerned about it, I tried not to worry about it, is that the last scene is almost 20 years earlier when he's a young man he's not slick he doesn't even really know that he's an artist yet he wants to be and uh, I was really concerned with the with the physicality of of that and I certainly didn't want to be playing young I, I feel I think I think you see that as an audience right away and it always rings false I think so often the audiences are willing to go a certain distance with you. If you hint at something, they will fill in the blanks. Whereas if you try and really portray it, um, I shouldn't say how old I really am, but I'm not 22 years old. (laughs) And if I suddenly, and I'm not playing a 22-year-old for most of the evening, and if I suddenly try and pretend that I'm a 22-year-old, all you're going to see is the falseness of it. Whereas if if I say, you, the audience, you know who I am by this point in the evening, you know I'm the age that I am, but if I hint at that, if I give a flavor of it, you'll you'll take the rest of the journey yourself. The phrase "sight unseen" uh, it's it's spoken by one of the characters uh, in a somewhat conversational way. He's really mocking your character, yeah. Jonathan. Um, and yet we mocked him constantly through rehearsal about that. Because, oh, did you? Well, because you always hate to be the person who has to say the title of the play in a line in the play. Oh, see, I it's, didn't know that little bit of trivia about actors. Oh, yeah, we hate it. You hate it because, you know, all of a sudden it's like, hello, it's the title of the play. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. Right, and, and when that happens, you, 
you know, it, it sort of begs to uh, for the audience to really pay attention. And right. uh, but he just he just sort of throws it off while he's mocking your character because he's pretending that he can't believe that wealthy people buy your characters paintings before they're even painted, sight unseen. Right. And and so why is the play called Sight Unseen? Why is the play called Sight Unseen? When I first saw this play in 1991, my older brother was doing it off-Broadway. He the, the role was originated by Dennis Boutsikaris, and my older brother replaced Dennis after Dennis had done it for however many months and was ready to leave the show. And um, I saw the play, and I loved it. I just, I love this play. And I have always wanted to do it since then. And uh, a friend of mine who had seen it didn't like it. And we got into a very heated discussion. Um, and I said, why, why don't you like it? She said, well, because Jonathan doesn't change during the course of the play. And what she meant was not, I mean, during the 17 years, obviously, he changes, he becomes an artist. But the, the, the real arc of the play is the, the four days in, in London. And she said, he doesn't, he doesn't change. He, you, don't, you don't know whether or not he's going to end up being okay. You don't know what, where he's going to go after the somewhat tragic events of the play. Nothing, nothing changes. And my response was, nothing changes except that he finally, metaphorically, picks up a mirror and looks at himself and examines his life for the first time. He really stops and looks at where he is and who he is and what he's doing. And she said, yeah, but then what happens? And I said, who cares what happens? He, you know, it's like, you know, it's like the Greeks. You know, uh, there was another play I was doing, uh, um, uh, readings of uh, where where somebody said um, they said it's like it's like the Greeks it, 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 since the beginning of time everybody dies or there's a wedding there's nothing in between so Jonathan's either going to be okay or he's not now that he's looked at his life he'll get better or he'll crash all the way um, you, if you go into rehab you get sober or your life is destroyed you know the exciting thing to me is, is he gonna is he gonna look at himself? Is he going to examine his life? And that's what the, that battle is what this play is about to me. So to me, the the title is about that fact of being at this place in your life where you're realizing that your life is something unseen. You know, the unexamined life is not worth living. You know that that Jonathan's life is a sight unseen by him. So sort of the, what you're really seeing is, is a guy who has never hit a rough patch in his life hitting a rough patch. Hitting bottom. I think, Jonathan, this is his bottom. I was reading some old reviews of other productions, and, and I found one Ben Brantley uh, review in the New York Times, and uh, he, he, he's talking about the Jonathan character, your character, and, and he refers to him as a human vacuum. Well... I hope that by human vacuum, he's not saying he sucks. I hope he's using vacuum in the, in the sense of emptiness. Um, so yeah, I think Jonathan's life is empty for all of the success, all of the money, all of the fame, all of the notoriety, all of the attention. His life is empty. Um, so I, I think that's an apt description. Do you think it's okay to, to like the characters in this play? Yes, I think all of them are likable. I, I think that's what characterizes for me Donald's work, is that he, he doesn't write uh, good guys and bad guys. He writes people. 
and I don't think Jonathan is a bad guy. I think Jonathan's a really good guy, and his arguments, he makes a lot of good points. You know, his arguments are, are well, well thought out, they're well stated, they're not evil. The, the question is, do they serve him? And do they help him express his truth? If, if Jonathan didn't have what I would call an artistic soul, the, the artist's soul, which he does, and we know he does because of that one painting uh, that, that is the subject of the play, the one that hangs in the farmhouse. We know that somewhere he has the ability to access inspiration. If he didn't have that, then there would be no loss in the work that he does now, the, the, the very intelligent, slick work. There's no loss in doing that. There's nothing wrong. His arguments in the farmhouse with the character of Nick, I think they all, well, I have to think they hold water because I, I have to make them, but I think they do hold water. That's a valid thing to do, to create art for the purpose of challenging people's perceptions and preconceptions. That's a valid thing to do. But if you are also somebody who has the ability to access inspiration and thereby inspire other people, I think that's a higher calling. And I think it's a loss if you have the ability to do that and you're not using it. And that's the tragedy of, of the past 17 years of Jonathan's life, is that he's just being slick. Right, right. I mean, even in the scene where he breaks up, with uh, Patricia. Uh, it's not the most outrageous breakup you can imagine. It's not like he really did anything that bad to her. Well, because some of the things that she says in that scene are pretty outrageous too. You know, here he is, his mother has just died and she's saying, don't you know how I felt? You mentioned uh, your brother before. Your brother, Adam Arkin, who's also an actor, has also played the same character as, as you mentioned before. and. Uh, and I, I just imagine that you guys have talked about this character. Uh, yeah, we haven't we haven't had really in depth conversations uh, about about him. And I I didn't get into a lot of it when I went into rehearsal. I mean, I I saw Adam do it. Um, I thought that production was a definitive production of this play. I did not come into this production thinking. You know, oh boy, they did this and I want to do that. Or Adam did this and I wanted, you know, I just loved it and, and was inspired by it and wanted to have the experience of playing this character. Uh, I have had the experience seeing other people play other characters where I sit there and say, oh boy, would I do that better. Uh, and I've also had the experience of saying, boy, I wouldn't do that better. And I, I cannot say uh, that I... I looked at, watched Adam play this role and said, oh, wow, I'd, I'd put my stamp on You know, I have nothing but admiration for what he did with this part. But you two, you two being brothers, it, it's sort of just unique that, that two brothers who are also actors um, have played the same role. And I think I read in an interview um, with Adam that he, he sort of calls it a, a cross-pollination between you, uh, him, and the, the playwright uh, Donald Margulies. Oh, is that, that's a, that's a good one. Yeah, because we've both played 
now we've both played Donald's sort of alter ego uh, and we've both originated roles as Donald's alter ego because although Adam replaced Dennis in this uh, years later in 1999 I went on to play Gabe in in the original production of Dinner with Friends and Gabe is the character in that play I, I think who sort of most speaks for Donald in fact we joked in rehearsal um, there's one monologue late in the play where Gabe finally gives his views on on marriage, and that's it's it it doesn't quote the title of the play the way Nick's character does in this, but but we would joke when we'd get to that monologue. A few times I turned to the director and I said, "And now a word from our playwright." <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's very clearly sort of the closest to Donald's view of marriage. I I think Donald might say. No, it isn't. I, all the characters are equally my view, but, but I think that Gabe was more speaking for the author than the others in that moment. And then several years later, Adam went on to play the title character in Brooklyn Boy, again, a, a character that's very clearly resonating autobiographically for, for Donald, as Jonathan Waxman in this play resonates for Donald autobiographically. In the middle is a very tense scene between your character, the artist Jonathan Waxman, and a German art journalist. And uh, this scene, probably more than any other scenes, uh, it just made the entire audience squirm. And Good. I, <laughs> they I guess should. you already answered my question, because my question was, was this the desired effect of that dialogue? I think so. I think it's meant to be very uncomfortable. I, I think it's meant to be very entertaining, too. It's like watching a really good sword fight between these two, I think. Um, it's also remarkable how how well things are going between them for a short period of time and then how quickly they go very badly. The, the sort of fifth character in this play is this painting, which the audience never sees, uh, yet we feel its influence in almost every scene. From your perspective, what is it about this painting that has this power over the characters? I, I think it's exactly what, what Gre well, Greta describes it. She says that the direct penetrating gaze of the, of the woman that, that, and that you don't see anywhere else in Jonathan's work this kind of connection. And, and that's what I was, I was trying to sort of get at earlier when I talked about inspiration, is that here, here Jonathan was able to capture an actual moment of inspiration, of connection, of life, of love, um, of human experience. And the operative word there being capture, rather than calculated, rather than say here's an effect that I want to go for and how can I, what can I paint that will give me this effect that's calculated in this painting he had an experience and conveyed it and I think that's why everybody's captivated by that painting because it captures and conveys an experience so anybody who looks at that painting I don't want to say what the experience is, but anyone who looks at that painting is that it's like the Mona Lisa. You know, people are, they don't know what it is. People still always talk, what is it about Mona Lisa's smile? What happened? You don't know. But they are captivated by it and moved by it and have some kind of emotional response that they can't put their finger on. Actor 
Matthew Arkin, uh, thanks very much for doing Thank the podcast. Thank you for having me. Okay. This is great fun. Sight Unseen is playing at the George Street Playhouse in New Brunswick through February 15th. For more information about the arts in New Jersey, visit jerseyarts.com. Jersey Arts, the podcast, is a production of State of the Arts. Watch it on NJN Public Television Fridays at 8.30 p.m. and Wednesdays at 11.30 p.m. Individual stories can be seen anytime on njn.net. The New Jersey State Council on the Arts is proud to co-produce State of the Arts. The New Jersey State Council on the Arts, encouraging excellence in the arts since 1966. Additional support was provided by the Geraldine R. Dodge Foundation, supporting cultural, educational, and environmental initiatives that make our world more livable.